mic this time? Go. <laughs> Welcome to Awesome with Allison and Eric. Hi. Too. I'm Allison, and our only goal with this podcast is to help you feel more awesome each time you listen, whether it's by laughing at us, laughing with us, or learning something new and helpful. We hope you feel a tad more empowered, lightened up, and awesome than you did before. I'm here with the one, the only, the sexy, the sensual, the talented, the luscious, the loving, the lover, Mr. Eric Robertson. (laughs) Hi. I've got the gift for Gab, don't I, babe? I mean, come on now. Give it to me. It's almost, uh, it's rhythmic. The da-da, the I know, da-da, that's what I'm saying. I'm just so good at this. It's like I should give myself a podcast. We are so grateful that you are here. We love so much when you spend time with us. We love when you pop in those earphones, you're driving in the car, and you say, you know who I want to hang out with? Mr. Eric Robertson and Allison. And Allison. And we are just, we're super excited. I freaking love this episode. I love it so much. I'm so excited. This is episode 87, Faith Transition, Spirituality and Adult Development with Thomas McConkie. I'm laughing because I feel like some people are going to think this is a weird, boring topic, and other people, if you're like me, are like, yes, like hit, like fist pumping, like, yes, yes, these are the things I want to talk about. Also, I just, I can't tell you, you're going to be able to tell how much I love Thomas, And we get so low, and his voice is so low, and he's so calming, and this episode is really important to me, and I'm going to tell you how I want you to use this episode. I have been talking to a lot of people lately who um, are in a tough position right now with their faith, and Thomas and I get into what is faith? What do we mean by that? Regardless of whether or not you're religious, regardless if you were raised in a certain religion or if you used to believe one way about the world and now you're looking at the world differently. This episode is going to really open your eyes, but most importantly, it's just going to give you a lot of comfort. This episode to me is like solve. It is like dressing wounds and healing. Bomb. Bomb. Yes, bomb. And that's what I that's what I really hope this is for you. I hope that it helps you learn things about yourself. I would love so much if you share it. Because if this isn't directly applicable to you, I know that it's directly applicable to somebody that you love. And this episode is just educational and connecting. It's not something that's going to divide and cause friction. And when it comes to, you know, changing your faith, learning new things about your faith, when it comes to spirituality, those things can be really divisive. That's what I'm just, I'm so excited about this. Thomas McConkie, we're going to go into his background, but he is an, an adult development expert. He is a meditation expert. He's written an amazing book. He has an awesome podcast called Mindfulness Plus. All of these things will be in the show notes, but Thomas and I really get into his background and it's super interesting. So if you are listening to this episode, you're like, I just want to talk about faith crisis or faith transition. We get there. Just give it like a minute. We're going to open it up wide and then we're going to go in deep. And I really, really think you're going to find awesome things from this episode. Hello. I feel like the second that Thomas is in the room and I go to introduce him, my energy goes into hello. Hello. Hello, awesome empire. Because I have the one, the only, the deeply grounding Thomas McConkie 
in our basement. We got you in our basement. And I'm really excited about it. Welcome, Thomas. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out of this basement. You're not, It's, it's as though I could just be disappeared into this basement. Well, I'm actually, <laughs> I have plans to keep you as my own personal meditation guru. And I brought in a mini fridge and you're just going to be living here now. You can do that in China now. Now that China's wealthy, people can rent a Buddhist monk to meditate in their different rooms to, you know, like, no. raise the vibration, if you will. <laughs> so wow. I don't do that. Wow. <laughs> he, he I'm not for so hire. quickly added, he yeah. wasn't for hire, as if I was genuinely going to do it. Okay, so Thomas, I am a, a new fangirl, and I'm, and I'm super grateful to have you here. He is an expert in adult developmental psychology, and I've actually referenced you a couple of times on the podcast, and then I got you here, power play. And he is also an expert in meditation, and I thought it would be cool, Thomas, for you to to explain that a little bit because as somebody I, I've been interested in meditation for years I've done different yeah. types of meditation I think it is interesting how it's almost I feel like people learn from like their own Zen monk or they have a guru or how does somebody become an expert in meditation other than reading books and meditating yeah that's a good question I mean I'll tell you a little bit about yeah. how I came into it and it'll be different for everybody, but I have yeah. my own story, and maybe that's you useful have your to start own with. story, Thomas. You're your own person. But that's, yes. that's crazy. <laughs> <clears throat> As I was saying before, yeah. I was interrupted. So I, I got into meditation when I was 18 years old. It was at a time in my life where I really needed something to connect with myself and connect with something bigger than me. Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything. And uh, it turned out Buddhist meditation specifically filled that role. You know, I've had teachers since then. Teachers have been a huge part of my so formation. I really like to get into specifics. Yeah. How do you find a Buddhist? You're an 18-year-old and yeah. you're finding a Buddhist meditation teacher. Yeah, that's, that's not what I was doing when I was 18. And that, you're in Utah. Yeah, no, that's weird. So yeah. I came of age. I just moved out of my parents' home. I was 18. I was living in kind of downtown Salt Lake University area. Okay. A lot of people don't know that in the late 1990s, the largest order of Zen Buddhism outside of Osaka, Japan, was on South Temple. Are you serious? What? That, that could be like several podcast conversations. That alone, Whoa. like trippy, right? So That's great. Yeah, so I it was almost in the air because at yeah. that time, I started asking people about like, hey, do you know any meditators? I've actually never put two and two together till this moment. So there's, you know, I'm inspired You're here. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some magic <laughs> pixie dust floating around in this basement here. I'm loving it. But really, I'd never met a meditator. No one had ever talked to me about meditation. And I remember distinctly when I was 18, having this thought like, why am I asking people about meditation? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And now my sense is, oh, like there was this like nucleus, this pulsating Zen nucleus of yeah. meditation two blocks away from my apartment. Pulling you in. Pulling me in. Yeah. And I, so I met my first Zen teacher, Genpo Roshi, and I've been studying with two of his students, who, two of his senior students who he authorized to teach for the last 20 years. So that's been a big part of my personal formation. And what does that look like when you go and you learn from someone like that? How do you approach someone and say, I'm... I'm now following you or like it looks a lot like this like what the three of us are doing right now like you sit down with somebody <laughs> yeah <laughs> totally you're playing right into my game right now <laughs> 
No, but you sit down with somebody. There are different degrees of formality. You can, you know, throw yourself at the lotus feet of the guru and you yeah. know, pledge your life to them. That's a bit more of the Eastern model from okay. centuries back. Um, the, the Western approach is this intuition you get like, hey, I, I can tell you got a little something. Can I mm -hmm. hang around and see what that's about? And it can happen, it does happen in very informal settings. Like, yeah, you meditate with a meditation teacher sometimes, but over time you realize, well, it's, it's not so much about how it feels when I'm meditating with this person. It's like watching them tie their shoes. Would you say it's <laughs> you almost know? kind of like a mentorship? For sure. And I think that's so interesting because I like this more spiritual housing, this casing of, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm learning from you. You're one of my teachers. Yeah. Well, um, and that's really appropriate. Yeah. Um, I am a strong advocate of uh, multiple disciplines, multiple lineages and teachers. Like everybody's a teacher. Everybody has a lot to teach. And when you trust your intuition and you get the sense that this person has something to teach me, maybe it's something they have to teach you over the course of an hour and a cup of coffee. Or maybe like if your karma runs deeper with them, so to speak, then it's a it's a multiple decade relationship but to just honor that we have like different timelines that unfold in different relationships and they're all beautiful and valuable but so, hold on but hold on i'm so interested in like the actual like what was a week like of your life were you in school did you like run home from class and then run over to this place was this like every day every other day like what was the time like Great question. First, I want to say I didn't know I'd get to talk to both of you during this interview. I'm thrilled. It's, this is like fun, right? this is bonus. I'm loving it. <laughs> okay, this is and Eric too. This, I know this, everyone's a fan of Eric. This is we amazing. No, I'm stoked. I love you too. <laughs> no, but, I'm fun. This is yeah. awesome. And, and that can look different too. I mean, but what did it look like for you? I'm for, so curious. For me, it looked like first. Let me go back that you mentioned books and podcast recordings, mm -hmm. like all these things we have now. We didn't have that in the late yeah. '90s. You didn't have. You had MTV. Yeah, but I wasn't learning how to meditate on <laughs> we had, MTV. We had Carson Daly yes. and TRL Live. That's what I remember. Didn't yeah. help my meditation yeah, no. practice. Opposite. <laughs> so so I, I had a daily meditation practice. I was really into like, okay, the 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 rigor, the the horror of sitting alone with myself in yeah. silence for a few minutes a day. It was always difficult, but provocative i'm like something's happening here and i would you know sit day after day and once i felt really stirred up and like so much so that i didn't know where to go next i'd check in with the teacher like hey yeah. this is happening with me and they would like you know do their kung fu moves and you know i just like my spine would stiffen up i'd be like oh yeah it makes perfect sense and i'd go back to practice alone and you know as you sit with yourself you get stirred up and you encounter new content layer after layer yeah. after layer and if somebody knows the path they can really easily recognize it and a few words go a really long way so that was my rhythm for you know the last 20 years i mean and then you went to the East, yes? You traveled? I did, yeah. I, I mean, I, I made pilgrimage to China. I, okay. I was just called. One of the first really kind of mystical texts that I got my hands on when I was a teenager was the Tao Te Ching. Which I love. And it just, right, I mean, it just really, yeah. like, pierced me. And it gave me a sense of how infinite spirit is, or the mystery, or whatever we call it. And I just wanted to, I wanted to make pilgrimage and just like be on that soil and feel where the ancient masters walked and it was yeah really life-changing for me i love it so <laughs> i have some specific things i want to get into but yeah. before we do that i think the next natural question someone might have is 
I want to go to there, right? Like I want to do that. I want to, I want a teacher. And I think that this can often happen. Whoever introduces somebody to the topic then becomes their only solution. Yeah. And you cannot be the only solution. You are a great solution, but like what, (laughs) what is a path that somebody, what are some actionable steps somebody could take who is interested? Well, I'm really glad you said that. So full stop on the, oh, Thomas, like, you know, went to the misty mountaintops of China. Yeah. He gets to be on a podcast and talk about it. I, do I mean, I went to China for personal reasons, not just to like deepen my meditation practice. Yeah. It was to like get out of Utah. Yeah. Because I grew up here and it was like poison to me when I was young. Yeah. And that poison has now become tonic and I love it here. I moved back and anyway, that's another story. Oh, but, we're going to get into oh, it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Let's yeah, do this. Well, but, yeah. <laughs> but I'll just say that like leaving Utah was at the top of the list of like why to go to China. Mm. So... As, as far as people who want to really learn how to calm their mind and tap into deeper creativity and intelligence and presence and all these beautiful things that flow out of the traditions and the practice of meditation, you don't need to go to the misty mountaintops of China anymore. Buddhism has been migrating to the West for over a century now, and it's really maturing in its Western expression. Um, the teachers that I've worked with, yes, I've worked with like the hardcore, like Zen teachers straight out of 14th century samurai Japan, and that's that's its own and experience. And do they speak English? Uh, not much. Yeah. And yet, that that's less of a hindrance than you would think, because what they're channeling to is blah blah blah. That's another story. But I'll just say there are incredibly attained and competent meditation teachers right here in our own neighborhoods now. It's remarkable to me, like some of the best meditation instruction I've ever had in my life, having been around the world, is from the guy up the street. Like literally just some guy up the street that no one knows about, but he just has a clear channel and a capacity and willingness to share it. So how does the person who's listening to Awesome with Allison and most likely driving around with kids in the car or heading off to class, how do they find, like, what do they do? Yeah, so for the people listening right now, you know somebody like this. You know know exactly what I'm talking about. That's so true. And the next, like, little half baby step is to just take a moment right now and acknowledge, like, oh, yeah, that thing I feel around this person, that's real. And that's, that's a glimpse of what I want to become in my life. And if I offered a little more energy and intention to that little seed of who I'm becoming, it will grow. And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody who is a meditation expert. That's no. what you're saying. No, meditation is a tool. I think yeah. it's a useful tool to get acquainted with. But like you said... I mean, tr- what what's called in Eastern practice transmission, just breathing the same air with somebody and, you know, hanging around them. It really lays down imprints on your being that changes you. We, we know this, like my yeah. grandmother changed me and she wasn't a Zen master, but she was. Well, and it's funny, <laughs> as you're saying that, I can think of, our, we have a neighbor, Jenny Ingeman. Oh, yeah. She's so chill. And I think she's so cool. Yeah. I just walk up to her and I just go, Jenny, Jenny, tell me how you're so cool. <laughs> and it, but it's that, it, there's something, and that's how I feel about Eric. It's one of the yeah. reasons I was attracted to Eric. There's something very grounding and centering in Eric. And because I have very frantic energy, I like to attract those very grounding people around me. Yeah. And then just having that conversation with them 
So it's like I'm doing it and I didn't even know I was doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. That's it. I, well, what does that mean for me? Because I like crazy people. He does like crazy people. Well, this is, I mean, this is a cosmic, timeless <laughs> dance. I mean, in the Hindu tradition, it's it's Shiva and Shakti. Shiva is this masculine ground that just infinitely holds this chaotic, wild you know, productive dance of the feminine Shakti. So we, we need this. each other. We can't, yeah. Shiva can never be without Shakti. <laughs> this is good. This is really good. <laughs> is, we are doing good stuff. I love that. So I was recently having a conversation with a friend and I was telling Thomas this, and this is a newer phrase to me, but this idea of a faith transition. Now I've heard, and you've got an awesome book called Navigating, is it Navigating the Mormon Faith Crisis? Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis. Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis. But we don't love to get specific on this podcast. We know we have a lot of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, I I was talking with a friend. She is going through a faith transition right now or a faith crisis. I really like transition because it maybe doesn't hold as deep of, it's a crisis, but it can really feel like a crisis. And I thought it would be so good to open up this conversation of faith transition. And we have a adult developmental psychologist expert, Thomas, with us. So now is the time to do it. And I know, and I know that you you attract so many people who are in this position. And so you've really coached and worked with a lot of people. I just want to make this applicable to anyone who's listening. This does not necessarily mean that you're questioning, you you no longer, you're leaving your religion, you're questioning everything. It doesn't need to have some negative weight to it. At the same time, I think either us ourselves right now are going through a transition with our faith, with our relation. And by faith, I mean the relationship to a higher power. We know someone and we're close to someone. And how can we greater support them and understand what it is they're holding? And as I was talking to this friend, her pain was so palpable. It was so thick. I mean, truly, some of the greatest suffering in my life has been equated to faith transition. And I really swing from... You know, we're all connected. Everything is just this beautiful energy. And I believe in everything to like, I believe in nothing. Yeah. Like, I believe in nothing. And I love to get like nihilistic and deconstruct down to like, there's no point to get out of bed. So, you know, just like these nice yeah, areas. Just another day in the life of yeah, Allison. Just- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, the all or nothing. Um, and so I would love to just like, open that up, talking about this idea of faith transition, faith crisis, what you've observed, and then bringing in your expertise in developmental psychology in adults. Sure. And take it away, Tom. All right, let's do this. Well, thanks for the intro. I'm so excited. Lots to explore here. So where my attention is going at the moment is just this word faith. Because as you mentioned, we can talk about transformation. We can talk about development in the context of faith. And the first place our mind goes, and this comes from a lot of cultural conditioning, we tend to think about faith nowadays is a set of propositions that we either affirm or deny. Like, okay, I love that. Meaning like, oh, I have faith that this happened, this happened, this is true, that's not true. Okay. And, and we just, we make a jump so fast that like we all think we're kind of hypnotized by the word and we think we're talking about the same. It's almost like, yes, God. I mean, my mind goes to yes, God, no, God. Right. Yes, Right. This belief or, okay. So let me, 
riddle me this. Uh, let, let me let me shake it up a little bit. So I'm 18 years old. Let's back up to like yeah. you know where I got into my Zen training, and I learned pretty quickly like oh Buddhism is a non-theistic religion or tradition, meaning they don't they have nothing to do with God. And at the same time, my teacher's telling me to sit still in meditation. You must have great faith. I'm like well, what is faith you know they don't coexist my my 18 year old idea of like what faith is to believe in those things which are not yet seen but hoped for whatever construct we have of faith it's like wait a minute this is really different than anything i've ever heard and i'll just i'll fast forward to like today right now in the conversation (laughs) i'll skip the 20 years it took me to distill this beautiful insight that's coming Yeah, yeah totally so essentially i've come to relate to faith more as a capacity to tolerate unknowing. A capacity to tolerate unknowing. So let me break that woo, down. Right, woo, yeah. Woo. Uh, yeah. I you feel lo- that? Oh, yes, right. 100%. Because like we, when we're really honest, we don't even know what we're going to have for lunch in an hour. We can like... We can spin in our heads and we can spin these stories about like, this is who I am. This is where I'm from. This is where we're going for lunch. In 20 years, I hope to be here. And this is what happens when I die. And we have so much defense against this deep mystery. I think I have a very low capacity. (laughs) A very low capacity to tolerate. Because for me, it's uh, control. For all of us. I'm special. No, no, no. Okay, good. That's good. No, but I'm just affirming that that that's a pattern of our development. Like how well we do with uncertainty, with ambiguity, with not knowing. Mm. So, you know, in the Zen tradition, I'm not going to talk about Zen the whole time, but since we started there yeah if if i were to distill the zen tradition into just like a breath it is sitting with this experience of i don't know and and like at first you're just like i don't know and i feel like i want to jump out of my skin and i feel like everything in me wants to know and you know after time you're like oh i really don't know and then like you drop down even deeper oh i really don't know like i tell this story about all the stuff i know but have i been pretending to know more than i actually do yeah. And this is human development. In, in one sense, it's just this process of recognizing like, oh, everything I've said that I know and believe and stand for, it's changing. And it's not what I assumed it was. And there are a lot of things that I thought I knew and took like refuge in telling myself I knew, mm. but I don't actually know. And part of me feels like elated about that. I feel freedom when I realize I don't know, I feel spacious. I feel infinite possibility. But I also feel tremendous fear and trepidation. Yeah. And in a sense, that's what development is. It's actually being honest about where we are on the spectrum of faith. Back to faith, right? Yeah. Not what I say I believe, but my capacity to actually be honest about how much I don't know and to just stand naked facing the abyss and saying, oh, I don't know this. Can I actually still wake up? and raise my children and, and go to work and, and like do it with integrity. That's the point where it's like, cool, in theory, I don't know and I'm standing on the abyss, but I've made commitments yeah. and I've made covenants or promises yeah, and yeah. I have children and I have a partner that I told I believe this thing. Totally. And this, so, right, immediately we not get Not to in, jump ahead. No, not at all, but I, that's perfect because I'm speaking to the simple side of things. Yeah. Like on the simple side of things, it's recognizing like, wow, when we just rest right now in the right now moment, I don't know. 
And like coming into relationship with that is transformative and it causes yeah. us to develop. Then you get into the complex side of like commitments you've made, covenants, agreements with your husband, with your children. Yeah. So there's complexity to it. And I, I don't deny that at all. No, but, but I think it is really is, important, like you're saying is often, and I notice this in business coaching, is I want to talk about the theory and immediately they just want application. Yeah, but I got to do. And so the theory is, I don't know. And we can get to the application in a minute, but to just even give space to the to the theory yeah. or to the to the philosophy of like, yeah, maybe I don't know. Yeah, that's an interesting just yeah. by itself. It gets its own little compartment, right? And then we can get into the application. Yeah, no, that's a good example. That would yeah, that would be a whole rich conversation to have about that. That you know, gap between yeah. the not knowing and then moving into application. Um, in terms of faith transition, so you started with faith transition. Yeah. People will sometimes translate that as like, oh, I'm not a member of any particular faith tradition. I don't believe in God. I'm agnostic, atheist. That faith transition, that's meaningless to me. They want to label it. Right. As I hold the construct, as I relate to it, it's, you know, faith transition refers to this endless round of transformation and metamorphosis that every human being is deeply involved in. So it's a big deal. It touches us all very deeply and and as we progress whatever that means to us individually we you know have insights about ourselves we see where we're most afraid like mm. what's the thing you're most afraid of not knowing what's the thing you're most afraid of not being able to control where are you the most heavily defended if if allison is a fortress mm -hmm. like you know where are your castle walls 20 feet thick mm. and where is there just a little back gate because you're you know quite open and free and permeable there we get insight into how we're built up as egos as yeah. persons and we go the mystery goes from there so <laughs> let's say we're being really zen and we're becoming aware of where our fortresses yeah. are built up and that's kind of a lot about what we talk in this podcast right and we're becoming aware and I realize my fortress is really built up here yeah. or in this specific area. Do you have, I love actionable steps. Do yeah, you have, yeah. like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Well, I mean, I find these conversations can get so abstract and so yeah. dull if we talk about, we're already talking about like, oh, there's this castle wall, but we're not talking about castle walls. We're talking about you and yeah. me and Eric for now, because we're, we're sitting in the room. Um, so let me do what I like to do. And like reveal something about myself to like, you know, put some skin in the game. I um, like, yeah. I like that. Where am I defended? Yeah. Um, I've noticed I've been married for three years, just so y'all know. And, so, and his wife is a total babe. Uh, she, I love, I love her. Glow. Yeah, she's yeah. sweet. I got, I got real lucky. Um, I've noticed that one of the most disturbing things about our marriage or, or what disturbs me deeply in our kind of relationship space is the experience of feeling like she's not listening to me. Mm. And like, you know, for a long time, that's come. How many times a day do we feel like someone's not listening to us as much as they could or should, right? We all have that experience, but it turns out I've learned this about myself. I kind of go into freak out mode. It's not just a, hey, would you, you know, would you listen to me? Yeah. You know, I, it's yeah. more like, I feel like a three-year-old 
and I, my body goes into panic sometimes. So you, you notice those triggers. Triggers. They're more severe yes. than in other scenarios. Exactly. So, and that is kind of like the first telltale sign of a fortress or a wall. Is yes. Up here. So okay. what, what do I do in response? I get angry. Right? So psycho. Naturally. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Psycho, thank you. It's so nice yeah. for you to affirm my neurosis. I oh, feel like I can, oh, I can rest tell in you it. What I do later, but we'll keep it about you. Yeah, so yeah. like in psychotherapy, they'd refer to this as a core vulnerability. Like something happened to me. I don't have any particular memory of it, but something happened to me early in life where I had this experience and it felt kind of life-threatening. Mm. And to this day, that's patterned in my own marriage where like Glow could have the best intentions in the world. She could be doing everything right. And if I pick up unconsciously on anything that smells funny, my body starts to like react. And if I'm not really present, I can start to get angry at her. And then she's like, why are you getting angry? I'm just sitting here listening. You're doing like, where do you get off? You're right. Does this sound like a marriage or what? Just this have, sounds like have marriage. Glow call Eric. Just have glow call Eric because I think that maybe you and I our intensity level is just a good titch more. Totally. Than that's the true. people we marry. Yeah, I think I that could. Know. That's probably true. Because <laughs> I met your wife and she real chill. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so we're. This is an interesting territory again, right? Mm -hmm. We all have these patterns. And we all tend to be really provoked in human life and human relationship. As we wake up, we recognize like, okay, first of all, it's not my wife's fault. Second of all, there's been a part of my human experience that I've been really aggressive towards, meaning not willing to feel exact, like just how vulnerable I actually am. Mm. And if I can get that far, that's already pretty good. Yeah. If I can actually find like, oh, I'm very vulnerable here. I feel deeply threatened when this is happening in my body. Can I actually just open up to that and accept that, like, this is human life? Sometimes I feel profoundly disturbed, and that's part of the deal. And all of a sudden, paradoxically, it's like, whoa, I feel, I don't feel like a three year old who's about to die now. I feel like an adult who's just holding some intensity in his body, mm. and it's all going to be okay. This is the kind of healing we do when we look closely at how we're wired and how we're responding to the world moment to moment. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Like, you know, we can talk about, you know, like airy-fairy awakening, and that, that's good stuff too. I, let's talk about that. But just at a very practical level, if we're willing to encounter ourselves and notice, like, how vulnerable we are yeah. and how many things a day kind of terrify us or provoke us or trigger us, and to actually stay close to that and recognize, like, oh, that's me too. That's part of my human experience. It's life-changing, you know? It's life-changing. So relating back to like a faith transition slash crisis, when those feelings, and I've had, I think any adult, like you said, it's adult development more than the actual faith transition. It's adult development. You move on, you expand, you deconstruct, you reconstruct. Yes. So those feelings of things crumbling. Yeah. Like how do you, when that, when I kind of went through my big one, I totally stayed inside myself. I didn't even tell her. Yeah. Maybe like two years later. <laughs> Literally years and the, and the, later. And, the reason, and I'm like, if just, anybody wants to talk about, that's like all I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about anything And the reason else. was is because this is my fortress. Unless I know, yes. then I don't want to discuss it. Right. It's too messy. So let me figure it out. Yeah. Because I'm pretty competent. I can get by in life. So I like to figure it out. That is so, it's such a, like I said, when you're questioning or transitioning, it's so 
so it's so disruptive. Right. And there's so much suffering and loneliness. So I'm over here like, right. why are you, why would you have suffered alone? Especially because I'm right. like, I feel like I'm the number one girl to come to if you think nothing is real. Like, <laughs> totally. So I'm conf- it's like, it yes. really was confusing. Okay, but could you feel how clear it is in this moment? Like yeah. I offered a core vulnerability that I'll do anything to avoid, including getting super angry at an innocent bystander if it allows me to not feel what I'm feeling. And Eric mm-hmm. just offered that like, oh, if yeah. I feel like I'm incomplete, I don't know. I, don't know. I That's too, yeah. something in yes. me is too threatened to offer that to even the person I love the oh, most. Oh yeah, he loves well, to I, I don't, I don't want anyone to 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 join me in that sorrow. Yeah, like mm-hmm. in that uncomfortable. Like, like I don't want you to come here yet. Let me reconstruct it. Right. And I feel like when I came out of it, like my faith. It's so funny. Like my beliefs on actual certain things haven't really changed. Yeah. Like I kind of came back to what I started with yeah. in that essence, but I'm just so much wider. Yes. And now, now I feel like I can talk to anyone about it. That's awesome. That's gorgeous. Let me let me connect a dot. So, you know, Eric just shared that piece of like, here's a vulnerability for me. Here's where I notice I'm a little defended. And I shared where I'm a little defended. Mm-hmm. These are personal patterns of ours that we, you know, develop differently, you know, from early life up. When we get into faith transition, this quality of like, I don't know. Because mm-hmm. that's how we're framing it in this conversation. Faith transition is this recognition like, whoa, what if I don't know what I thought I knew? Yeah. And that, in my experience, is archetypal. And by archetypal, I mean it's so deep that it doesn't matter where you were raised, what culture, what tradition, what parents, that that one goes so deep that every human being feels dread. Even if they're they actually not feel that. raised in an organized religion. Doesn't it's matter. The idea it's, of it, can be, it can be culturally with just it's, your country's it's culture. Human. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because okay. whatever, whatever you hung your identity on and said, yes. this is who I am, and then all of a sudden you feel the floor falling out from underneath you, you're going to feel deep dread in your body. You're going to feel sick about it. And like everything in you is going to say, how do I make this go away? Mm. And that's kind of the universal faith transition that I see in my work. I see it with people who profess religious belief. I see it in people who were never raised with any tradition and their parents did their best to keep them away from any tradition because of all the troubles it might cause. And still, this just happens. This is how we grow. So I just, it's, this is very normal and healthy. It's that's like, you're normal. Yeah. Let me restate it. Let me (laughs) put it even more strongly. Yeah. If you experience this distinct quality of dread that we're kind of describing yeah. here it means so many things in your life have had to go right mm-hmm. in order to carry you to this moment where you actually have enough faith and trust in yourself and life to let the bottom fall out that's awesome it's a big deal and so it, in your book you talk about are there six stages or D- different stages, different systems have yes. multiple stages. I wrote about, I can't remember how many stages I wrote about. But, but let's say there's five or six or something like the, that. That particular model that I do from Heavily comes from Dr. Terry O'Fallon, and she describes 12 stages. And I didn't describe the stages that were statistically rare on the childhood end and on the late stage end, but I, I tried to take like 98% of the stages you're going to see are boom, right there. And so what I thought was so interesting was taking that modality or, or that structure. Mm-hmm. What brought me here is your idea of lots of things went right, meaning you're progressing. Absolutely. So you're progressing along these different stages. And because you're progressing, 
that's why these thoughts are coming up. It's like, exactly. Like, I remember when I was, I don't know, 14, 15, I started to get these really bad pains in my shins because the bones were growing. I had growing yeah. pains. It's painful and like you want it to go away. And yet you, your parents tell you like, oh, those are growing pains. You're getting taller. And just having it recontextualize you're like oh it hurts but i'm getting taller that's awesome if (laughs) we need a cultural equivalent like we can identify the soul pain and say look i know it hurts really bad but you have no idea what you're becoming it is incredible what you're becoming soul pain we don't have that i love soul pain (laughs) it's good for us yeah so good we're we're meant to feel it and to drink it in and metabolize it and we're meant to become infinite it's my sense of it. Oh, I'm I'm with you. I think one of the biggest sources of pain in a transition or crisis is anticipating the future of where you're going to land. Mm. Yeah. And and I love the idea of that not knowing. Like you say, I don't know, and that can make you be free. Yeah. But I also that's something that gives me comfort. And I don't know if this is just this is just me constructing a story in my head. But I love Michael Singer and the Untethered Soul. How he trusted. Even though he didn't know, he like trusted that there was right. the infinite yeah. that knew him better than he did. Yeah. And that gives me tons of comfort when I don't know is I can just trust life or the serendipitous yeah. things that happen. Yes. So I don't know if that's helpful to anyone, but that's helpful to me. It's deep faith. That's, that's faith to me. And so let's say we have someone who right now is just feeling this. Yeah. They're like, yes, everything I thought I knew, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know where I'm going to land. I know for a lot of people, the biggest fear and pain points come relationally. I'm going to disappoint my parents. I'm going to disappoint my friends. And it's interesting because I notice, and I'd, I'd just love to hear because you are like this receptacle for this these experiences on a mass level, I feel like, right? And so I talk to some people and they're very worried about how they're, you know, going to affect their husband, their wife, or, or how they're going to affect. Yeah. And they feel like they, they are obligated to share everything they're feeling. And then you get people on Eric's side, yeah. which yeah. is, I don't know, so yeah. I am obligated to keep everything inside until I have figured it out. And then I have to make some sort of definitive decision. And so just even if you can speak to the experiences that you see with people, but then also get into like, what should someone do? Like, what advice would you give someone? And I yeah. know it's hard, like in kind of an abstract way when, we're sure. not, when you don't have like a specific person to apply yeah. it to, but maybe like three piece of, pieces of universal advice yeah. that you find yourself repeating to somebody who is just in it, just sitting in that suffering right now. Yeah, no, uh, let me see if I can manage three pieces. Yeah, right? I got, whatever you can I do. got two roughly right now. I we'll see where it. it goes. I love it. First, you describe a spectrum. Like, you know, there's one side where, you know, things are changing in me. I'm a liability. It's also volatile. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. There's that side of the spectrum. There's the other side. Like, I feel like I have to disclose this. Like, I'm lying yeah, to people exactly. if I don't tell them how I feel right now. Exactly. And yeah. I would suggest that, like, somewhere between the extremes, there's just an intuitive place where you sense, like, this would be a good way to take care of my fill-in-the-blank, my spouse, my parents, my siblings, my whoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really trust people to be intuitive about like, well, what do you think would be a skillful way to share with a person that you feel you need to bring along for this ride? And you're right, that does get very specific. 
yeah. in terms of the case-by-case basis. But to just know that there's a spectrum and to know that either extreme tends to be a little dangerous, like to completely close yourself off from life, that can mm. compound suffering. To just spill everything out before it's ready to be shared can be yeah. reckless and do more harm than it can do more harm than good. Yeah. So there's that. that yeah. That's a big part of it. I like that. I like giving people like a, a good question to ask themselves. Yes. And so I like that idea of yeah. like, what would be skillful? Yes. What would be, you know, helpful? Exactly. It's Maybe a, what would feel healing it's almost? A, yeah, exactly. It's a practice. Like, and, yeah. and notice that like you'll be in a different place on the spectrum in different relationships at different times. Mm. You, you might have a moment with your mother and it just like comes flooding out and something yeah. in you says like, this is good. Like, I trust this. I'm just going to tell her. And other people you feel that you really wanted to tell, but something something in your heart is saying, you know, it just doesn't feel like the moment to share. People are intuitive and they can feel their way into that. But to hold that sense of a spectrum, I think, can help people. I love that. So, so there's that piece. Another principle, I've found this to be really consistent across different people and stories and different kinds of transitions. Um, how to put it? When we're transitioning when we're when we're in this moment of profound change and we don't know who we are but we know we're not who we used to be Mm. everything's changing what we notice in our relationships that can be pretty alarming is like people who expected us to be a certain way people who have come to rely on us to be a particular way some respond with excitement but most of the time in most people's lives, there's a significant number of really important relationships and what they're met with is a kind of panic. Like, you're not who I need you to be. Mm. People don't come out and say it like that. But, but energetically, the relation there's a strong implication that like, whatever you're doing, knock it off. Because our relationship was based <laughs> yeah, on this contract yes. and I didn't sign any new contract. Like, Honestly, this is the old contract. You giving words to it yeah. is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. realizing that's what they're really saying yes because that takes all of the um personal feelings out of it yeah when you say i'm not who you need me to be that's what they're saying to me it's like well that has nothing to do with me and i don't yes. feel so bad anymore exactly right? yes no exactly <laughs> so the flip side is like let's stay with the contract metaphor yeah. there will be people who insist i think of mary oliver's poem that talks about i can't remember the journey i think it's called and okay. she talks about leaving in the middle of the night the wind is howling and she talks about the the terrible melancholy of the people clutching at your ankles, oh, telling you not I to love leave. Mary yeah, she. So oh my much. goodness! Like you know, mother goddess <laughs> yeah. of poetry. So it, it's that feeling of like the terrible melancholy of your old relationships clutching at your ankles and saying, "Don't do this." There's that side to it. So while those contracts are in place and people refuse to change contracts with you, it is so important for people's mental health to sign new contracts with mm. new people. Oh, new what, contracts what, with new people. And here's people. what I mean by that. It doesn't mean you swap out all your friends, although in practice you'll end up like shedding a few friends in these processes. Yeah. It just yeah. happens throughout life. But to really take care of yourself by finding relationships and communities, groups of friends that can reflect back to you who you're becoming and reflect mm. back to you with excitement. Like they see who you're becoming. Yeah. They don't care who you used to be. And they give you this face like a mother gives when a child does something like they say their first word or take their first step and the mom's just lit up in a glow. And the child internalizes that and knows like, oh, whatever I'm doing, it's good because mom's crazy about it. 
And yeah. we need that. We need to be parented. We need to, we need to be mothered throughout our lives. So when we're, when we're in a faith transition and we're kind of awkwardly experimenting with this new being and something in us just says, I need to grow into this. I need to take my first step here. We need faces reflecting back to us, hearts reflecting back, saying like, what you're doing is so awesome. Those are the new contracts we need. But I, but I have a question too, though, because a lot of the pain is leaving, potentially leaving these contracts. How can, how can we, maybe who haven't experienced this yet, how can we proactively or preemptively like, be supportive and ready for people? Like, what can we give and change within ourselves to help? Do you, know, do you see what I'm saying? There's probably relationships that, that don't have to end if, if people can be more aware and, and proactive and be ready for, to accept this. Absolutely. People. I mean, would you say more about that or any specific examples from well, your I'm life? I'm just saying, you know? okay, let's just say, um, for example, like if I decided to leave my religion, I know it would, it would terribly hurt my parents. Yeah. What could you tell my parents? What, 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 would you, what advice would you give to them to lessen their pain? Yeah, well, that, wow, that's a big question. And it, it takes us and it's a related dir- direction, but also like it brings on, it brings in different elements into the conversation, but I'll run with it. Um, how I talk, and I do this a lot. I actually have been in this situation often yeah. the last several years since I wrote the book on it. Um, what I tend to tell people who, let, let's say, like they're not as thrilled about whatever changes are going on with whoever they love. And let me like tangentially comment here. Rightfully so. I mean, when we transition, we can be messy and do unhealthy things and make bad decisions. It's yeah. not like any resistance to change is a bad thing, and we want to just surround ourselves with cheerleaders saying change, change, change. <laughs> yeah. There's no, in, there's glad, intelligence. I'm glad you pointed that there's out. A, right. Because you can surround yourself with people who are just mirroring back what you want to hear, and right. that's very different than surrounding yourself with people who... Encouraging you to find yourself, that, yourself. That yes. mothering, like you were saying, where right. they look at you and, and are saying, I see what this is doing for you, and I champion that. Totally, like yeah. there's the, And so ask yourself, am I just, you know, getting a bunch of cheerleaders? Yeah. Yeah, yes, yes men, essentially, or people who genuinely have my best interest at heart. Yeah. It's a so, question I've been I, asking myself a lot lately. Totally. So I, I want to just give a shout out to the, you know, quote, parents who are listening or friends who have Spouses. friends. Yeah, and they're worried about someone changing. There is often a lot of intelligence in that worry, and they're seeing their friend, like, make bad decisions through the transition. And that's a whole other topic. Yeah. But to just honor that, you know, we all have our perspectives and our truths to share. Um, but back to the question, like, what do you tell people who just, you know, feel that anxiety, feel that heartache, that worry? I often break it down into a sense of time. And what I mean by time is, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to just offer some of my biases here as I talk about this. People listening to the conversation might not feel this way, and that's okay. My experience of human beings is that you know, where we are right now in this particular state of a body, a mind, living an earthly life, it's neither the beginning nor the ending to our reality, what we are and what we're becoming. So I I do have a sense in my personal spiritual life that there's something about us all that's ancient, that we have existed for, like, off into the eternities. You know, just, we've always been, somehow. And we'll always be, somehow, like, Whatever we're growing into, it's not going to happen in a day, a month, a year, a decade, or even a lifetime, or even 10 lifetimes, or even 10 eons. I try to communicate that to people that, 
like my sense of like how it's all unfolding is if we get stuck on this time horizon of a month yeah. or a year or five years, we fall into this lack of faith, right? The opposite yeah. of faith being like, I know, I know, I know. I know that like if you don't get your act together and like you're back on track within a year, your whole life is gone <laughs> yeah. to pot. I know that if you're not here in 10 years, married with kids, we or, think we or know. Or even by the time you die. Exactly. Right? Because that's right. just a very narrow timeline. It's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah, it's I a like mindfulness it. practice like to look at people. Yeah. And not just see them in terms of like, what's up? What's going to happen in your lives the next year, the next 10 years, even the next 100 years? Mm. Like, what's going to happen to you guys in the next 1,000 years, the next 10,000 years? And when I just start to see you with those eyes, something like my brain kind of disengages. All the stories, mm. things I think I know about you too, that quiets down. And all of a sudden, I feel this resonance in my heart like, wow, like 10,000 years from now. Like, I have this intuition right now, like the love I feel in this room and the connection I feel to you, that somehow that's going to be even deeper and more profound. And I'm not worried about anything in the moment. I just have this deep sense, like, who you're becoming is something I see and I trust and I resonate with. It's a totally different way of looking at human beings. That's why everyone loves to be with you. Uh. <laughs> it really is. We had the, and not to go too side tangent, but I do always love to give testimony of how much I love people. And we... Testimony meeting. Testimony. Yeah. Spontaneous testimony meeting. Right now. <laughs> and we went to Soul Craft, and it was a couple-day retreat, and it was Which our, is Thomas's company or uh, organization. Well, yeah. Um, lower Lights. Yeah. And it was an awesome retreat that you put on. I said to Eric, and, and I had read your book, so I already loved you. And then I went, and I said to Eric, I'm like, he has so much power to be so dangerous. You could be, and I mean this in like the best compliment because I like power. And so it's a compliment to me. Like it's, be, I think it's because of the love and the space that you hold for people that you can just feel everybody there is just hanging on to your word and just loves being in your presence. And I said, you wield your power so responsibly. Mm. Um, and I just, I respect that so much mm. because it feels so good to be with you and it feels so good to learn from you. And it, it's like, I, your voice is so calming <laughs> and, um, I, so I, I love getting a little bit behind the scenes glimpse of how you do that. Mm. And I think yeah. your perspective of time, yes, you're looking at me what I believe is the divine in you is looking at the divine in me. Yeah. And I feel that. Yeah. And my divine self is being reflected back at you because you're looking at me in that lens. Thank you. And and yeah. I really I really appreciate that. And so you Thank can you. feel that when you're in the presence of Thomas. <laughs> what a powerful tool. What a powerful tool to have yeah. to give to people to cultivate in yourself. And then back to Eric's question of, you know, what advice would you give someone, but how can we offer it to ourselves? Yes. Right? Like looking at ourselves with that timeless perspective. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, thank you. That's, I mean, I take that as I feel your love and it's a deep compliment. And um, yeah, I, so I'm opening up my bag of tricks and saying, hey, if you want to like jog your consciousness a little yeah. bit, look at somebody not in terms of who they are as your friend over the next 10 years and what you need them to be for you. Yes. Look at them 
over like a time horizon of a thousand years and just see what happens. You might be really shocked at what shifts in you. And I also want to say like, so I'm up there doing that when I'm at retreats and I love to get to share this practice with people and help people fall in love with each other. Cause we're already in love with each other. We just, yes! we're just, we forget that a little this bit. This is all I've been saying. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, so I love that, but yeah. I also want to acknowledge like, you know, what you described as my presence a moment ago. That's, that's what, pours uniquely through me when I open mm. myself up. And what's so beautiful about the practice is you have different spiritual gifts and talents and capacities that will be illuminated from the inside out by that same presence. The presence is, it's, uh, it's a commons, right? The presence isn't any one person's. Presence is just presence. It illuminates all of creation, as far as I can tell. And when we open ourselves up to that presence, these gorgeous, unique capacities flow through us. And that's my vision of what a, you know, uh, an, an enlightened community would be like to just be illuminated together and share our illumined gifts with each other. That's really what I care about and what I hope people feel when we get together. I love that. Yes! So much. She's I in. Could not. Or, yeah. <laughs> that idea of yeah. like we're these vessels. Yeah. And we open ourselves up and presence pours through us, but it's gonna pour through each unique container and vessel in its different way. Right. But it's all light, and it's all love, and it's all beauty. Right. <gasps> yeah. Okay, and, and look, when we're, we're showing up though, just yeah. since I met you in Spring City two months ago, you know, you've been really generous to receive me and just like taking what I have to offer. And here I am on the Allison show. And you know what I'm saying? And like yeah. your, your unique gifts pour through you in this medium. And Eric has shared his music with me. Mm-hmm. And like, so these unique gifts there, we, we think they're our talents, but they're really just, they're in the commons. I love that. I yeah. love that. I just, I just have one more question. Okay, yeah. you, you, yeah. I loved it. Soulcraft. Um, you, you, you'd quote. You had some quotes from different philosophers and spiritual teachers, and then you said, "I'm a Jesus guy." Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that. <laughs> I, 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 it I, was I, the I was funniest like, comment to me. You're like, "I'm a Jesus. I'm a big Jesus fan." <laughs> And, it's and like, I'm, a, I'm a Jesus guy too. So I just want. <laughs> it was so. I just want to know what is your favorite thing to share from him. Oh boy! But it was so interesting. <laughs> I, I think, loved it. I think the uh, reason why we both liked it so much is, and people listening might be like, "Ooh, Jesus, no!" or "Jesus, yay!" Yeah, but exactly. it, you said it exactly like I'm a Radiohead fan. Yeah, that's right. How it is. <laughs> Where it's like, um, we're a Mary Oliver fan, right? Yeah. Like in that same way, and not to take away from the divinity or that you don't have that for for Jesus, but sure. but that's what it was so fun yeah. because the way you said it, it was like. I'm a big Jesus guy. And I was like, yeah, you are. Well, there's yeah. a, thank you. I mean, there's a lot yeah. of trauma around Jesus. So yeah. I, I try to share exactly. it. There's a lot of trauma around Jesus. And I love the way you share it. Thanks. Exactly. Yeah, I but that. I mean, that's my culture. And yeah. I love when Eckhart Tolle quotes Jesus. It's yeah. like, yeah, that's my guy. Yeah. So totally. I just felt like really connected. It was a, con- a connecting piece between you and mm-hmm. me. And I loved yeah. it. I, I appreciate it. that. Um, I mean, what's my favorite thing to share about Jesus? Yeah, I have to answer that question. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's tough. So let me let me just search my heart for a minute because I have yeah. conflicting signals. I'll, and I'll be transparent about it. Yeah. So, you know, the canonical gospels, the more traditional gospels, I love and I study and they're powerful to me. And I've also loved like learning about 
Christianity in terms of like what it was before the Catholic Church made it Catholic and what what did like the early desert mothers and fathers before there even was a church say about Jesus and you know like I've really so I love a complex like multi-spoked Christianity that goes out to the west and it goes out to the east and like Christianity is so many things and the tension I'm feeling is when you ask that the first thing that came up authentically was well there's this saying in the Gospel of Thomas and not everybody recognizes the Gospel of Thomas. Scholars are more and more coming to this consensus, like this is an authentic text and it it might be as early a Gospel text and recording of Jesus' sayings and wisdoms as we have. But then, you know, I I, I get nervous, like, oh, am I excluding people? If I talk about the Gospel of Thomas, it'd be a safer play to go with, like, John. But I'm going to wow, go with Thomas. Do your thing, yeah, do yeah, your thing. Yeah, you the real thing. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Is, that, is that the My Apocrypha, na- then? I, I, is, that, is that it's, Apocryphal writing? Like, what is that? Different people have categorized it in different ways. As far as I'm concerned, it's just an early text. I okay. mean, it was discovered in Egypt in 1945, and the, the, ev- the best evidence points to it being something that was written at near ground zero, near the time of Jesus. So to call it apocryphal, to call it Gnostic, or the other academic labels that have been slapped on it over the years, I just want to like not call it anything and just cool. like channel like what's I really. I love yeah. not labeling things. <laughs> yeah, it, it drives everybody crazy, but it's my favorite. There's the <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So, so let's just say like maybe Jesus said this and maybe he didn't. You can decide. Doesn't matter. Like, like for me, I think this guy named Jesus said this. I think he said something like it. I think it's been reverberating through the generations since he said it. And it's something to the effect, it's Logion 10. So it's the 10th saying in the Gospel of Thomas. And he says something to the effect of, look, I have sown fire into the world and I guard it carefully till it blazes. Mm. And it's this feeling, like when I read that, I just feel electrified. Like it, it, calls me from this slumber. Like there is fire sown into the depths of our very being. And if we wake up and if we open our hearts, we can be this divine flame and passion with Jesus and all the ascended teachers. And it, it just points to our infinity to me. That's incredible. Thank I love you. it. That's what's that's what that's what I'm jamming on right now. Cool. And if you ask me in a week it'd be some other Jesus cool. saying, but that's, that's, that's what's that, here that, today. That's how we work, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And I love that because it gets us back where I wanted to go. Which, <laughs> well, notice how I can find a way to do that. We're, so say it one more time. Say it one more time. Well, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have you the know, text yeah, right I with like me, but it's, it's, you know, I have sown fire mm-hmm. into the world. Yeah. And look, I guard it carefully till it blazes. So, the love of God is just like waiting for us human beings and the rest of creation to just burst into divine love. Wow. And I love that because I feel like back to our conversation of faith transition, faith evolvement. Yes. We're trying to get to that fire. Yes. And it's guarded carefully. Yeah. We are that fire. We are blazing. We just can't find it. Yeah. But but the faith, this this is beautiful. I'm so happy you brought these together because really this is the paradox. Like we feel panicky. We feel like everything's falling apart. Yes. That's how the blaze starts. That's the the tinder. Yes, it's friction. Yes. Yes. That's it. So to the person who is feeling well, you're brilliant. You said no friction. Like that. But it is. And so to the person who is feeling that friction, yeah. I think so often, especially with 
we're in Utah and we've got a lot of Utah listeners. <laughs> um, there is this idea of you're in or you're out. Right. You're active or you're not active. You're this type of member or you're that type of member. It's so toxic. Right. I, I, that's my opinion. I hear you. It's so toxic. How can we wrestle with that better? How can we do a more responsible job to people's hearts and souls and suffering? Yeah. I mean, I'm totally giving this as a loaded question because I don't think being so black and white is the way to do that. Yeah. So do you have any like rallying cries or solution, not solutions or just, you know, a thought? Yeah, I have a thought. I mean, it's right here in the room right now. So I agree if we draw our battle lines and say, oh, that person is active, this person is not, this per- mm. you know, when we start to tell ourselves stories like we know more than we do, it can be toxic. Yeah. Totally agreed. I've found shifting metaphors and evolving new language can be really powerful. So given like what we're talking about right I now, instead of talking about like how we think somebody's performing mm. as a member of whatever religion or community, what if we just like, got into our hearts a little bit more and sense like, is this person blazing? Oh yeah, they're blazing. I I can feel that blaze. And back to the beginning, we talked about who's a teacher. When you're around someone and you feel the blaze, you just like sidle over there and you're going to start to blaze with them because it's alive and it doesn't have boundaries and it's not a respecter of persons. It doesn't care who or where you belong to. We're just born to blaze. I love it. So, like, we're going to make t-shirts, born to blaze. Yeah, totally people are, with, uh, people are, to yeah, people are going to think we're stoners. And she's yeah. totally fine with it. She's totally fine with it. Oh, I love that. Are they blazing? Yeah. Like, are they on fire? Are they, and and there's so there's so much different language around that. Are they in the flow? Are yeah. they connected? Yeah. Are they that vessel that's channeling that presence through yeah. them? Yeah, and we we all are. Yes, to all yes. of those, we're all doing it. We're all trying our hearts out, trying to blaze and to just yeah. honor people on that path. It's a really different experience than whatever we think we know about performance metrics. That's- and, and that's truly what it is, is it's performance metrics. Right. Because it goes back to that idea of that caveman brain being able to measure and this is negative, this is positive, this is good. Control, is predict. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, something okay. was there. There's a there's a fire <laughs> roaring in here, people. I am so Thomas. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. I'm Both so grateful. Now people are gonna want more Thomas in their lives <laughs> after listening to this. And you've got an awesome podcast. Oh, thank you. Called yeah, Mindfulness good. Plus, and it's the plus like the plus sign right. with Thomas McConkey. Yeah. If you are interested. I I know I'm biased. I want your book to have a more um, universal. neutral, universal title. Sure. So I'm going to work on that with you. Well, I'm, but I'm no, working you, on a follow-up like, to the book. Okay, yeah, good. so that's happening. Um, but your book <laughs> called Navigating Mormon Faith Crisis is an awesome book. Thanks. And they can get it on Amazon, or is there a preferred place? You can get it on Amazon. We also have a website called Mormon Stages that, Mormon that Stages. educates on development. Yes. Can I just give a plug? Because you, Allison, you read it and you're like, this doesn't even have to do with like Mormonism per se. It, this no, is, it's, it's this true. is universal adult development helping yeah. you navigate that. So if yeah, you're interested right. in yeah. that, that's what I think is has been my greatest resource. It's yeah. other than Catherine M. Thomas in mm. The God Seed, yeah. which she gets into adult um, developmental psychology. Right. I haven't... 
I hadn't been able to find any other real resources on that. Yeah. So when I found your book, and uh, true credit, Nichelle, who works with me, she gave it to me, and I didn't read it because I didn't. I didn't resonate with the title at sure, first. Yeah. And if I had known for me and how I geek out, it was about adult developmental psychology. I would have been like, Ooh. Yeah, cool. And then when I did read it and not to be negative about no, the title, I, no, you're doing a great job. No, no, Tom. I get it, but just I get because it. I know we might have some listeners who are like, that doesn't apply to me. Please don't think that because yeah. it is phenomenal. So we're going to link to all of that, but oh, cool. another place to find Thomas, if you want to on Instagram, it's lower lights wisdom. And they're, they're usually pretty sold out, but they have some awesome um, events through Lower Lights. And so you can find those online, Lower Lights Wisdom. But the thing I love about your podcast that I've been enjoying mm. is like we enjoyed at the Soul Craft Workshop, you kind of leading some guided meditations. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a, Your podcast does that a lot. Yeah, it's their five minute or so like lessons about, you know, just helpful concepts in the practice and then you do it then you practice it so you it's there to help you build up your practice and get rolling so i think that's a really awesome place to jump in if you're interested in doing more mindfulness and meditation practice practice mindfulness plus cool. with thomas mcconkey <laughs> yay okay thank you oh what is your go-to pump up song my go-to pump-up song. Yeah. You know, lately, it's been Dark Necessities from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Okay. okay. We haven't had any oh, it's grunge. So, yeah. It's like, uh, okay, anyway. so, nice. so good. So we'll play a clip. So good. We'll I'm like, it. how did this slip by me in the early 2000s? Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> anyway. We'll play a snippet of that. What do you say? Red Hot, was it Red Hot Chili Peppers? Yeah. That was, <laughs> that's something new and different for the podcast. Yeah, that's great. Oh, there's just so many beautiful thoughts in this episode. But that idea of are you blazing? Are you burning bright? And just wanting to enable other people to feel that way and looking for that in people rather than quantitatively performance measure, you know, talking about those performance metrics. I mean, take that outside of faith. Take that into business. Take that in with your children. Take that in with your spouse. Like looking at people beyond their performance. What a beautiful, beautiful concept that is. Thomas, I love you so much. Don't worry, Eric knows how much I love Thomas. It's in a completely appropriate way, maybe. I love Thomas. And all of the links to his podcast, you're going to really enjoy his podcast. The other thing, Thomas talks about meditation, and a big part of my Awesome On Demand program is my gratitude practices, pep talks, and guided walks, which are all really fun access points to guided meditation. So if you're not a member of my Awesome On Demand program, I really recommend checking that out. You can find that on The Allison Show forward slash Awesome On Demand. If you are wanting kind of a a good access point to the guided meditations and mindfulness. That's really what a lot of the Awesome On Demand program is. 
I'm just feeling good. Are you feeling good, Eric? Oh, yeah. You know what also keeps me feeling good is hearing people's reviews. Let's read one. Ruby808 says, I woke up to episode 86. It was absolutely an answer to my prayer. Thank you for sharing your talents and being vulnerable to want to help others and sharing what you learn. I love your energy and passion for life. You are like a distant friend that has recorded and categorized different topics that I need at different points in my life to remind me and encourage me that I am doing a good job and that I am enough. I share almost daily because everyone needs to hear this. Thank you for helping me see things more clearly and always making me laugh. You are awesome. Is that Ruby? Ruby 808. Ruby, thank you so much. You know, I that's something that I really, really want to do is when you're feeling stuck on a certain topic is that you can come back and we have a podcast episode for that. And so that means so much to me to hear that feedback from you. So we've been getting so many good reviews lately. Ruby, be sure to shoot us an email to awesomewithallison at theallisonshow.com. That's Allison with one L. And we are going to send you oodles and oodles of yummy, funny things. They're not yummy, but they're fun from the party with Allison and swag shop. And then um, Eric, well, no, I don't go to you yet. First, I remind everybody how much I love them, how amazing they are. And I just, I want to just say, especially with this episode, you're doing a really good job questioning what you believe, having the earth pulled out from under you. It can be very lonely and it can be very dark. And I just want to encourage you that I believe people who are fighting that fight, they're, you're just doing incredible work because you're not okay being the person you used to be. You're trying to grow. You're trying to learn better. You're trying to do, as Maya Angelou says, you know, you do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, you do better. And that's what you're trying to do. And I just want to send you so much love and respect and encouragement. I want to remind you, only you can be you and you are already as awesome as you need to be. Eric, what are you going to take us out on? Oh man. So we released a brand new collection called Edgy Atmos, like edgy atmospheres. Oh, okay. I mean, they're like Radiohead inspired, cool electronic songs. This one is called Modern Beasts and you can only find it at Pleasant Pictures Music Club. You're a modern beast. Use code awesomewitheric for 20% off. (laughs) 